0: This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I'm joined by Nicholas J. Horwat. Horwat, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm a tired kid today. I feel
1: that on a spiritual level right now. Yeah, just one of those weeks uh, where I'm not working a lot this week, but damn it, I just feel exhausted for some reason, especially today. But um, you know what? Penguins hockey wise, it's a good week um we'll get into it the, the fans are back all 2800 of them uh we've taken one against the flyers we have two more to go and well i say it's a good week and then i remember crosby's on the covid list so we don't know what's going on with that but that's all stuff we'll get into we got uh, that's why we're here behind microphones for your listening enjoyment
2: you ran down basically the entire episode yep so i appreciate that means i don't have to do it but we also have one other thing coming at you guys today, and that is our interview that we had with Dan King Gersky of Pittsburgh Hockey Now. So that will be coming up here shortly in about probably 20 minutes after we go over the Penns Flyers game. And interestingly enough, Penns Flyers, the first game the Pittsburgh Penguins are allowed to have home fans in the 2021 season allowed to have 15% capacity which is 2800 fans which they did get all 2800 of those seats filled. Yep. And one of those seats was filled by none other than you Horwat. So yes. I want to know what was your experience like going to a game for the first time being at the first
1: game where fans are allowed to watch a Penguins game in over a year. Um so it was quite fun. It was the first game I had been to in over first game I'd been to in over a year. Uh, it's not the last like concert i went to which is like the real like the last real like social thing i did was just under a year ago um so i made it almost a year um without like fun things like that but it was very different there were um d- there was definitely a lot of space to like walk around um, so like during the second intermission i just made a point to just kind of walk around the lower bowl of the arena just around the walking area and yeah it was very like not empty because there was definitely still people there but it was you definitely had the feel of there's something different about this and you knew what was different about it so you kind of just rolled with it but you were also at at the same time just amped that you're at a hockey game again that was the first feeling I got walking in is just it could be there could be no one else here I'm at a live in-person hockey game again and I was going to enjoy that (laughs) I mean, beyond that, it was the complete standing room only sellout of 2,800, and it was the 600 something consecutive 610. After... Nice, yeah, that 610th consecutive sellout, and Dude, if you want to put an asterisk on it, that's up to you. But so a few things about the stadium: it's still cold as all hell. <laughs> it's still freezing in there. I get it as a get it is a room of ice, but it's still cold. Um. They, I didn't realize the crowd noise was pumped into the arena and it was still pumped in <laughs> and it was noticeable. It wasn't I mean, after a while, it kind of just turned into white noise, like just background little buzzing, like what would like what people usually put on, to like go to sleep, but it was definitely noticeable and it definitely did escalate and deescalate. It got louder and quieter at certain points of the game it was very interesting to actually kind of hear that in the arena and it was on the entire game and it was a little jarring because I don't it's just not what you expected whenever the crowd was back. I mean granted twenty eight thousand people isn't going to be the or twenty eight hundred isn't the <laughs> same as Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same as the full, you know, nineteen thousand capacity, but um it's it was interesting because I think the crowd the pumped the pumping into the crowd noise was definitely the most jarring part um there was no like of the interactions like the i'm trying to think of like how they do the dance like the cotton eye joe dance thing uh selena Pompiani wasn't there doing her intermission routine stuff uh they did it it was just all pre-recorded mm-hmm. which apparently they'd been doing all season anyway mm-hmm. for like the writers and the special guests um but it was just interesting walking around whenever I was walking around. I noticed they took the kid zone out and made that like a media room. Um, but whenever everything's all fixed there, I think that's also going to turn to like a bar restaurant because there were definitely taps, but uh, no taps were on. Um, so yes, I had to overpay for canned beer, but so be it. It was still great to be there. Uh, you do still have to get food with your alcohol. Uh, but I think that's just state rule. Um, but what's cool is just some of the things that they implemented. This, if everything was touchless, everything. I mean, there's like this cool scanner that you just kind of throw your, you know, drinks and food down on this little platform, and a little camera scans the whole thing, and it, boom, there's your receipt in your face. Just input your card, and then there's also the app um, does mobile ordering. The Penguins app. It's all kind of cool things going on at PPG Paints Arena. If you have the opportunity. And are lucky enough to get to a game this year it is a much different experience um it's worth it i don't know what ticket prices were or what they are i don't know if you've you've looked into that at all but i know it's probably hard to get them because it is such a low capacity and it has been so long since people have been to a game but if you are able to and have the opportunity take it it won't be the same but you might enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I got to sit back. I got to extend my legs over the seat in front of me because no one was there in in their in front of me. So um, I got to sit comfortably. And yeah, if uh, I don't know how else, if you have any more questions, let me know. I just kind of ran down my notes, but it was all very fun and interesting stuff.
2: It was a historic night and yeah. I don't think a lot of people, and I'm sure you actually did, but I don't think a lot of people Realize how historic it is that this is a worldwide pandemic. So whenever anything opens up, the first time we go to do something, the first time we go to do this, the first time we go to do that, well, that was the first time anybody had been allowed back into PPG Paints Arena in over a full calendar year, basically. Almost a full calendar year. Not exactly a full calendar year, but that was the first time after All of the stuff that the world has gone through and all the stuff that, to a lesser extent, the NHL has gone through and their fans have gone through. And I'm jealous of you, and I'm sure some of our listeners are jealous of you, that you got to be there. And just did the gravity of that situation weigh on you at all whenever you got there and you
1: saw Puck drop for the first time? A little bit, yeah, because you knew it was something special you were kind of there for. Because it was such a low number i mean it was was only 2800 it's you knew you were one of the few and it is something special i mean it's you watch it and you're yeah you're happy to be there and yeah you're enjoying these new amenities of you know you don't have to really interact with anyone you don't have to touch anything you just you know throw your food in a scanner you can kind of stretch out a little bit in your seats but at the same time while you may enjoy those things i mean the scanner's going to be around they're keeping that Um, I guess something like that was going to be implemented even without a pandemic because they just have that technology to do that. And it was sweet, (laughs) but you know, as much as I enjoyed sprawling out over the seat in front of me and kind of just relaxing and watching a game, um, I'm sure all of us also cannot wait for the day that they don't have to continue pumping in the fake crowd noise where we are just kind of crammed in there, you know, like sardines in those little seats and just, you know, breathing on each other and just enjoying a good hockey game. nonetheless the hockey game was great as well it was all awesome to be there um but yeah you could feel it was something different in the air a little bit that night at least because it was the first time back i mean yeah the steelers had people back for a couple games but um that was you know i wasn't no i wasn't there for that we weren't there for that no one we know really had that discussion i mean i'm sure the people that were at the first steeler game with fans you know i'm sure they had this same sort of feeling like they were glad to be back at Heinz Field. They were able to walk through, um, whatever the main, whatever that hallway is called. I forget now. I don't. I don't
2: know Heinz Field as well.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's if you're a fan of the team and you're going back for the first time, it's you have that feeling of it's things are getting back to normal again. I mean, things are, but I read the uh, if anyone has time and has the athletic, read Sean Gentili's piece on. Uh, why Crosby getting put on the COVID list means something to everyone, because he said it, it, yeah, we're getting people back. We're kind of inching toward normalcy again. But here's a little slap in the face and putting us back into reality that this is still a thing, that we still have to do the right thing and be safe no matter what. And I can genuinely say being at the arena, I felt safe. You know, I didn't feel like I was, you know, close to people like yeah you're gonna walk past people and be close to people you're gonna do that in everyday life anyway um so one thing i did just remember though everything yeah was socially distant and everything was kind of you know you had to keep keep your distance and keep your mask on. And everything uh the bathroom was not socially distant every, every urinal was open <laughs> so maybe just maybe that's your one note if you're going to PVG paints arena use a stall maybe make sure it's clean i don't know um but yeah none of it felt unsafe i never felt like i was going to be around someone i didn't want or feel uncomfortable in any way so it was well worth it a lot of fun and again just a step in the right direction
2: i don't think there's anybody that would argue that uh going to a game with 2800 people Comes anywhere close to going to a game that is, you know, white out, gold out in the playoffs, where there's 19,000 strong there cheering on the Penguins in the postseason. But at the same time, there's something about being there with that few people that is also very special. And especially, we don't even have to keep mentioning everything that everybody has gone through in the past year and that sense of release to get to go and do something that social and to get to go to just go to a hockey game. In public we don't even have to bring all that up but the fact that you're there with 2800 2799 other people in your case it just feels like it's something of mass importance even though yeah it's still just a hockey game but it it can mean so much more if you let it and i think that's that's what happened to me when i I watched that on tuesday even even watching it from home it, it felt a little bit more special
1: it did and plus when you're watching a game in person as opposed to on tv you feel the energy a little more Mm -hmm. you know you feel like you're i mean you're you are there so you kind of you feel like the energy that the players are giving off that's something that you can never replicate through a tv screen i mean i don't know too many times that i've been watching a game on my couch and like like feeling the tides of the game change you know yeah you kind of get the idea that you can feel momentum but it's a whole different feeling when you're in person there. Mm-hmm. And and this game specifically is one where you really felt the tide of the game change. It was an impressive impressive game to be out live. That kind of game with a full crowd would have been incredible. But um yeah, just the fact that it was the first one in such a you know, low number of people it, it didn't it also didn't feel like it was A minor league or a college game, like Mm -hmm. I've been to those, like I've seen mostly empty arenas. I've been to PPG Paints watching college hockey. It's when it doesn't sell there, like it's a it's a different atmosphere. But this one, it felt like it was an NHL game, Mm -hmm. you know, because you'll go to sometimes you'll go to the minor league games and it's an emptier arena, and you know it definitely has a different feel. But this one felt like an NHL game, so I think that was another thing of great importance. It was cool seeing that everyone was into it. Everyone was having a good time. And I mean, yeah, the, the replay of like the intermission stuff was a little lousy and just not as fun, but it's what you have to do. I mean, there are certain things you probably could have done, but, um, yeah, it was just great to be back. And I think that's what everyone would say. And I don't know. Did, did it sound like we were loud in there to you? <laughs>
2: Because there there were points where it, it definitely sounded loud in there. I mean, Jari's big save, being one of the loudest that that you heard on there, and then you you heard some booze whenever Philly would do something, and especially I think the Mark Friedman scuffle. You heard the fans a lot at at the end of the game. So there were there were moments, and also when Jeff Jimerson came out, that was cool.
1: That from was... his from like his box I guess. I don't know cuz that's where yeah. Iceberg was also the entire game. Like he Iceberg was there but obviously not going around to everyone mm-hmm. but he was up in that same spot all game. Um so all the elements were there for the most part. Um and I think one of the coolest parts cuz I was asking you asking you about the crowd noise was um me and my buddy Matt were just showing up toward the end of the toward the end of warmups and you mm-hmm. know Malkin's always the last one off. And I think his storyline of not having a crowd has made it's made an impact at least we know that he thrives off the crowd we know that he likes having a crowd with him to kind of really amplify his game and we all know Malkin likes being the last one off whenever he was waiting for whoever it was on the flyers to do their final things you hear every I don't know how many people were in there at this point but you hear each one of them cheering for Malkin already and be, like given the situation like the crowd is back he has struggled this year because in part because there hasn't been a crowd also Crosby's not playing we know what he does when Sid doesn't play so i think the crowd knew all of the little details that were going into this moment for him specifically and gave him a cool ovation toward the end of his warm up and it that was i wasn't even sat down yet and i was like this is already a little more special than um, you know then then something it was very cool it was very special for him and for the crowd and I don't remember how he did for the whole game did he get a point or not because he didn't look phenomenal but you know it's Gino this season <laughs> we know he, how that's been
2: he did get an assistant I believe on the third goal the Brian Russ goal he got an okay. assist uh, because he dropped it off to Latang, who shot it, and then Russ was able to put it in. So he did get an assist in the game. He played a lot better. And with that, let's get into the game a little yeah. bit. But, of course, with that day coming up, everybody was excited. And then about halfway through the day, we get news that Sidney Crosby is on the COVID list and will not be participating in the first game in a year with fans. Uh, we, at this moment, do not know his status for Thursday night's game as we're recording this on Wednesday night. So... We don't know his current status for Thursday night's game. He might be in, he might not be in, but he's on the COVID protocol list. Doesn't necessarily mean he has COVID. It just means he might've had a close encounter. He might've had a possible exposure and the Penguins of course are going to abide by the league's rule on that. So we'll see how long Sid is out for, but let's get into the actual game itself. The first period did not start off too great first game with fans and you take two penalties in the first five minutes but luckily the abysmal pens penalty kill was able to go out there and sustain was able to go out there and fend off the philadelphia flyers who don't have a bad power play they haven't been great this year but the flyers in the past couple years have notoriously had a pretty good power play so the penguins being able to kill that off i think just helped the momentum right
1: off the bat Uh, yeah i'd say so i mean we still only got what five shots in the period. Am I making that one up? Yes, we had five shots. Okay, I didn't think I didn't think that was fake, but yeah, I mean, other than not really producing shots even after it, you still felt confidence in the team, the in the fact that they were able to kill off two penalties in a row like that. And it's not even like one; it turned into a five-on-three. It was a penalty that got killed off a few seconds past, and then another penalty. So you're basically working your first four or five minutes of the game on the penalty kill well there goes you know any sort of momentum you wanted to start for yourself but you were able to pick something up by way of killing those off keeping it out of the net and looking good doing it I mean Dari looked good making saves and all the skaters out there making the right plays it was impressive to see and um especially given how bad that our special teams has been both penalty kill and power play the fact that grew some confidence i think in them being able to kill off those two early not just killing off the rest of the game but those two early i think were huge and the confidence going forward for the rest of the team yeah and that that was a really major moment
2: in the game early was the fact that tristan jari kind of came out and, and put his foot down from the get-go because yeah, they killed those penalties pretty well. But Tristan Jari, as he should be, was the best penalty killer on the ice for them. And he was on his game from puck drop. And that was one thing that was very welcome if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. You had a new defenseman in there, Mark Friedman, making his first start as a Penguin. First time he's playing in a game because POJ, as we end up talking about with Dan Kingersky, who the interview is coming up in a little bit. POJ might need some time off, and, and we saw that on Tuesday. He got to sit, sent actually the whole way down to the taxi squad, probably for logistical reasons with the, the Crosby COVID situation. But, you know, Tristan Jari was able to come out, stand on his head in that first period, and it, and it helped because the Flyers outshot the Penguins 14-5. to And, you know, that's a story that has been plaguing the Penguins in the first 20, now 21 games of the season, is they give up so many shots in the first period, and then, you look back to Sunday's game against the Islanders when they got shut out they only had 2 shots in the first period this game okay they escalated it and got it up to 5 shots but they still need to come out better at the beginning of every game now
1: yeah it's still not enough 5 is not enough it's i don't I don't know the average exactly mm-hmm. for shots in a period but it's got to hover around double that maybe triple that so yeah maybe maybe you're not aiming at 45 you know shots a game but it's I mean that's what you want to shoot for. You want to kind of have a high number of shots in your game, so you, you know, have more opportunities and have more chances. And again, when you're on the penalty kill, that just doesn't come. But, um, you know, yeah, you spent four minutes on the kill. Okay, what would you do with those other, with those other 16? Because it obviously wasn't get pucks on net. So it's starting off slow is an issue. But I mean, the fact that like you mentioned tristan jar is able to stand on his head and be not just our best penalty killer but in those situations our best player on the ice it's a big help and it's good seeing him you know play like he's supposed to
2: the next thing i noticed after that first period of course it ended up being a scoreless first period which for the penguins is best case scenario considering the way they played and considering the fact that they were without Sidney crosby so you go into the second period now tied at zero. You give up the first goal to Joel Farabee. And then right after that, within a minute, which is something that I noticed that they did both on both flyers goals. They scored within two minutes after both flyers goals, which was absolutely outstanding. That is one of the things that we talked about them doing poorly at the beginning of the season. They were never able to follow up their own goals by defending their own net. And that's what they did. To the flyers on Tuesday, they were able to take both Flyers goals and score within two minutes to take that momentum back. In the first one, it was Kasperi Kapanen stealing the puck from Shane Goss and going down on a breakaway, doing the old Jason Spezza fake slap shot, and then just sliding it through the five hole of Carter Hart able to do that. Then of course, Kapanen gets a power play goal, doing a great job of crashing the net on the power play on the backside. And then a beautiful passing play. He finishes it. All of a sudden he has two goals in a row. Carter Hart, just robs him of the natural hat trick in the second period. I'm sure you were getting ready to throw your hat. <laughs> I was getting ready to explode seeing that happen, and unfortunately, Carter Hart made his best save of the night to rob Kasperi Kapanen, who still has yet to have a
1: professional hat trick, but he came very close on Tuesday. Yeah, Carter Hart looked good, pretty good during the game, at least. I mean, Carter Hart seems to be an enigma. It's, I, I mean, I'd need, I would need more details from. Our buddies at the Pigeons Podcast. So I don't know with the Carter Hart, but he made a damn good save there. Kapanen, I, Kapanen himself is also an enigma. I mean, I see him play, you know, phenomenally. I see him, you know, make plays, open up scoring opportunities, and just look fast on the ice and look fast with or without the puck. You know, then seeing him score twice, almost three times in the matter of a couple of minutes, really. Um, all looks good, but then he has those times where he's getting benched and playing on the fourth line and getting no playing time. I don't know what the hell is happening with this guy, but if he can find some consistency, mm-hmm. that's 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 a player to have on your team for a long time. That's He's playing so well whenever he's on, and he was on the other night. so Definitely his best
2: game as a Pittsburgh Penguin by far, not only because he scored two goals, but I think he was just in the mix in total the entire time. And that is without playing with a guy like Sidney Crosby and without playing with a guy like Evgeny Malkin. He had Brandon Tanev and Jared McCann on his line. So that's even more impressive that he's able to go out there and, and play those type of minutes with guys that aren't superstars. And that's what you want to see. You want to see him be able to be that independent type player. Something else that I noted in the second period, and we've honestly seen it throughout the season so far we talk a lot about how Mike Matheson is a lot of fun to watch, whether it's it's fun to watch and try to avert your eyes of what the ugliness of what he just did is, or he does something completely beautiful. And we noticed it in the second period again. He completely deked one of the Flyers out of their own jock, kind of at his own blue line, and then he just took off. And considering I got a, I got a dog last week, I, I kind of have this in my mind, this one-track mind now. Mike Matheson is just like a puppy, he gets the zoomies. The man gets excited whenever he makes a good play. He gets the zoomies. If you have an animal, you know what I'm talking about. Those just spurts of just sprinting all over the place. We saw that on Tuesday. Matheson makes a good play, and all of a sudden, he just takes off because he made such a good play. He had that confidence, and he takes off into the offensive zone, and it results in a chance. But at the very least, he shows off his great skating ability, his great puck possession ability, and that's just – in my head, that's exactly what I pictured. I was like, this man is like a puppy. He just got the zoomies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so wild. I I mean, remember when we, got, when we signed him, Rutherford said he might be the fastest defenseman in the core. Well, um, and then for the first couple games, we were like, well, can we see it? And then he gets hurt. And then it's when he comes back, it's, well, can we see it? And then he shows it and then shows it in the wrong way half the time. So I think it was... It's we in in a interview we have coming up. I know we discuss Mike Matheson in a, a little bit in a little bit more detail. So mm-hmm. uh, we won't get too far into it. Just stay tuned for that. Listen to the next f- future episodes. But he is a very strange player, and it's a it is it is good TV, good or bad. It's enter it's entertainment value. It's it's. I don't know how to put it because it's not a car wreck where you just can't look away. It's poetry in motion and sometimes poetry yeah. is not good. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's one way of putting it because he's got these moments of just pure, you know, great hockey plays, great hockey sense, great hockey mind and then there's him blowing everything up. You, it's, it's entertaining. I don't know how else to put it really with him. It's, It is pure entertainment value, and it's quite fun, no matter what.
2: It's fun. It's a 100 times better than watching Jack Johnson try to bumble his way through an an NHL game, so I'll give him that much. Now the contract, again, let's ignore the contract for this season because it is the first season with him, and then we'll have to deal with that in the offseason, seeing how much we're paying him. But as of right now, Mike Matheson... may he's playing half decently. He's playing as a decent second pairing defenseman. And that's all we have to say there. And I mean, if if he can start showing more spurts of, of, of these zoomies, quote unquote, as I'm now going to describe when he does that, then that's good. And that's what we need to see going into the third period. Then I I do want to bring up Matheson's empty netter, which was absolutely gorgeous. But before that, just a shout out to Cody Cece, Mark Friedman, and anybody else that was on that play, because that was a beautiful goal. And that, like I said, coming just about a minute after Joel Farabee made it a 3-2 to game. And that kind of was the nail in the coffin put, with Cody Ceci right in front of Carter Hart, putting that in the net, making it a 4-2 game. And the Penguins at that point just controlled the puck the rest of the way and, and got the W in regulation, I may add, the fourth regulation win or fifth regulation win,
1: one or, one or the other of the season. I don't know, but it is more of Cody CC looking, looking good. Mm-hmm. They're using him in the right role. That's all it is. It's all we had to do. That's all Toronto had to do. That's probably all Ottawa had to do toward the end of his tenure there. You use this guy in the right role, he's not going to burn you. You hope that much. I mean, he will. Don't get me wrong. He probably will burn us at times. For now, he has not burned us, and knock on wood, because he's played a solid defensive game this year so far, and – I think in huge part, that's because he's playing the right role, his third line defensive role.
2: And the Penguins are lucky that he has panned out the way he has, because if not, I'm not sure where else you, you go at this point, because the if you really look at it, the Penguins got lucky this year with the deployment of their defense, because with the injuries they've sustained and yes, Brian Dumoulin looks like he's about ready to come back here in the next game or so. But with the injuries that the Penguins have sustained on the blue line, Cody CeCe has panned out fairly well. Mike Matheson has panned out fairly well. P.O. Joseph was able to come up those first five, six games. If it wasn't for P.O. Joseph, they're probably not getting as many points as they did in the standings during those games. So that panned out fairly well. Uh, Mark Friedman, honestly, we haven't seen much of him. Only one game, but I thought he played a pretty good game. He kind of made a name for himself, and he didn't make any mistakes, so I enjoyed his performance there. And I know I already mentioned Matheson, but one, I don't know what Carter Hart was doing there. And two, Mike Matheson has an absolute laser beam of a wrist shot from his own blue line to the back of the net, the back of an empty net, and he gets his second of the season. So at the end of the day, I think it was just a really good game by the Pittsburgh Penguins, one of the best that they've had all season. And it's an important win for them because we already mentioned on our Monday episode, they're going to need to take at least two of these three games against the Flyers to keep themselves in a good position in the standings right now. And taking the first one is a massive step.
1: Yeah, it's going to move us up the ladder. These three games we knew were going to be huge. Um, We got one of them down. We got two more to go. And we keep playing like that. Uh, We should be rolling right along for the rest of the season. We just got to keep the nose down, keep the head down, and play our game. And that's what we did on uh, Tuesday, without doubt. And who knows, maybe we're going to start playing more games in front of a crowd. I remember I said at the the beginning of the season, what game I am, quote, most looking forward to is the first one with a crowd. Now we had it. It was a home game thank goodness it was I cuz I said even in a way one would make a difference because it's a little bit more of what we all talked about Um, we got it at a home game we have our home crowd with us now and assuming all things stay good and all things go in the right direction they should be here for the rest of the year they're not going anywhere and if anything maybe we'll see more in the coming in the near future so the crowd's in it the crowd is now behind you and you can see it in person and if that means they're gonna drive play a little more because they have an audience with them so be it it's great to see you know them play this way especially with um especially given the spot they're in because it's a it's an interesting spot
2: the Penguins are a top three team in home records right now. They're eight and one on the season at home. And now you just add on that extra layer of they actually have their fans with them. At this point, it's 2,800 15% capacity. And as you mentioned a couple weeks down the road, it could be 20% capacity. It could be 25% capacity. Who knows? Maybe by the end of the season, we get to see 50% capacity, which would be amazing, but let's not count our chickens before they mm-hmm. hatch yeah. right now. We're at 2,800. And right now the Penguins are one to know with fans in the stands and, It was a great performance by Tristan Jari, probably his best of the season, 40 saves on 42 shots. And guess what? We finally got Tristan Jari back to 900 in his total save percentage this year.
1: 40 saves will go a long way. I didn't realize that's how many it was until the game was over. That was incredible. That's you don't want to give up that many shots. But when your goalie is making that many saves, it's it's a good feeling. And all of the saves he made were
2: under control limiting rebound opportunities even if he gave out a rebound opportunity he was discarding it into an area where he knew there weren't flyers yeah there were a couple juicy rebounds but there weren't really flyers there to capitalize on it and that's that's all that matters so I think Tristan Jari had a great game I would assume he plays in every game until the second half of the back-to-back on the weekend against the Rangers I would assume he plays all three games against the Flyers not only because Mike Sullivan's probably trying to help him get that Lamborghini for a week. I don't, I, I don't know if you have seen any of that. That was all over NBC sports. That was their entire storyline because I bounced between NBC sports and at and sports for that game on Tuesday, but their entire storyline, they said it at least 3,500 times is that Tristan Jari and Carter Hart are off season training partners. And, and whoever wins the season series between the two of them gets to drive a Lamborghini to training for free. For an entire week in the next offseason because one of their friends owns a dealership. (laughs) Oh, it pays to know people, doesn't it? And it's a neon green Lamborghini, so you'll have to look it up. Trust me, Pierre Maguire was gushing over that story for at least the first 25 minutes of the
1: game. Because, yeah, I mean, I guess these guys could technically afford a Lamborghini if they really wanted to, but... Yeah, it pays to know people. I guess that's a, that's a that's a fun little story though. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't help that. Uh, why didn't we know that going into the season? Did 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 NBC just wait Pierre for? Pierre dropped the ball. Yeah, did NBC? I just, mean, we knew that they were training partners. Yeah, we knew they the were whole, buddies and all that. Yeah, but like, I, I don't
2: know. I guess it just hadn't come out yet. So,
1: the NBC just waited for him to go down to O two, and that's in that little series and. And like, Hey, look what he's working from behind on.
2: Maybe Pierre actually put in some overtime and figured that out. That's why they said it so many times, but I digress on that point. The one last thing I want to bring up before we send it over to our interview with Dan King is the salute to the fans after the game. I thought that was a very nice touch by the mm-hmm. penguins. Uh, I feel like a lot of people expected that, but at the same time, it doesn't always happen. And it just shows that they do appreciate the fans. And after, everything that they've gone through as well, playing in that bubble up in Toronto last fall, playing without fans, the quarantining the the constant testing to be able to do it in front of fans. I know that meant a lot to them. And it is, I mean, they said it, they, they said how much it meant to them. So it was nice that they were able to show that gratitude to the fans. And it was nice that for the fans in attendance, you got that gratitude given to you.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's been a while. I mean, do you remember the day of the season got shut down last year?
2: Yeah, we were getting ready for Penn's Columbus Blue Jackets in Columbus.
1: Yeah, so I, it's to think that it's been since the game before that, really, since you know they've been able to play. It was a Devils game because I remember I had to keep notes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the last time they kind of saw. When you're a player like that, and especially if you're a guy like Latang or Malkin or Crosby for that matter. Do you feel like your those fans kind of become family to you after that long?
2: Yeah, I, I feel like at that point 15, 16 years into your career, it
1: it just feels like something that I mean maybe you not family take for granted. Yeah, it's maybe not but... family, but it's that extra piece of you. And you know, they said, I mean, yeah, they said they didn't care where they played for the Stanley Cup. They didn't care if it was i think doomland's one that said it in my driveway it makes no difference for us Mm. as players but at the end of the day you know it's a whenever you have to play it in a different environment it's a completely different feel um and we've all been waiting for that moment i mean this this whole episode's a little emotional and a little you know a little heavy with this whole idea that it has been so long since people have been there and it means something to not only the fans, but also the players that we are able to come back and be there in person. And yeah. Okay. So we saw the salute coming. Who cares? I mean, it was, it was a great moment nonetheless. Yeah. It was, well, yeah, what we expected, but also, um, it was a necessary moment and it was something Mm -hmm. to show that, I mean, we were just getting ready to watch them play against the blue jackets and we were, Having discussions of can this team, you know, sustain this, you know, play into the playoffs and can they turn it around because they had just come off that bad California trip. Yeah. And we weren't really sure how the rest of the season was going to go. We were trying to figure out this Patrick Marlowe and Connor Sheary situation because we decided to acquire them. And then everything gets shut down. And we don't know at the time, especially, we don't know when we're going to see them again. We don't know when. They're gonna play again, um, because I can remember before the game got canceled and before the season got shut down, they were they were gonna play without a crowd. Mm. That's one thing I remember about that. Like they would have played their first game without a crowd then, but obviously, you know, here we are now. I'm not gonna keep going into this because, uh, we have an interview to jump into. But it was definitely a good moment because, yeah, it was just the gesture of. We've all waited for this moment. We all have. You know, players, coaches, fans, management, you know, media, uh, announcers, mascots, anthem singers. We've all waited. And now we're all back, and it's hopefully steps in the right direction to being at fully normal again. Yep. Well, as you said, we do have an interview, and we're going to send
2: it over to that right now. And we hope you guys enjoy our talk with. Dan Kingersky. this episode of the tip of the iceberg is brought to you by manscaped the best in men's below the belt grooming offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels got a crazy bush I may not be a contractor but even I know that if you trim your hedges your tree stands taller this is why manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved lawnmower 3.0 featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you.
1: Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast
0: Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering
1: every team in the NHL.
2: Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey podcast network we are now being joined by the one the only dan Kingersky of pittsburgh hockey now to discuss the pittsburgh penguins dan how you doing today
0: i'm doing well i've never been called the one and the only at least in a good context
2: <laughs> well there's always a first for everything and that's what we do here on the show we give firsts all right <laughs> So we're going to talk a little bit about the Penguins who are, at this moment, 20 games into the season. And at this point, we can kind of see which trajectory they're heading on throughout the 2021 season. But with all that in mind, there still needs to be a thought on the future of this organization, especially with the new hirings at GM and with Brian Burke as well. But how big is the hiring of Chris Pryor, one of the newest additions, as director of player personnel to you?
0: It's huge. Uh, I, I think it didn't get quite enough play, really. Um, you know, they, they announced it on a Saturday morning, uh, you know, right before a game and, and all of that. Uh, what Chris Pryor is, is he is the symbol of the new direction or, or what comes next, really, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He is the guy who did a lot of the drafting in Philadelphia, and they drafted very well for a long time. On PHM, we went through just a handful of the guys they plucked in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds. Oscar Lindblom, Carter Hart. So many of those guys weren't top ten picks, but the Flyers got very good value. And and Ron Hextall really trusts Chris Pryor. Uh, I thought the telling sentence in Hextall's Saturday morning press conference was, "Now we can begin to evaluate." you know, the rest of the organization. So he really was waiting for Pryor as his right-hand man, his second set of eyes, to really now tear into the nuts and bolts of the Penguins organization.
1: It's interesting. I mean, I know that the Mark Friedman signing was, you know, kind of a small waiver signing, but I guess he is a Hexdall and Pryor guy. And, um, you know, the Flyers defense is a defense that kind of clogged itself up in a, in a way but i mean is mark freeman a guy that um you know hexon prior going to be confident and is he a guy that one day at least maybe can make some sort of noise in the nhl maybe with the penguins team
0: uh good question really uh, his claim when they claimed him off the waiver wire i mean it makes him the fifth right-handed defenseman that uh, you know they've got on the roster and they can't put him on the taxi squad or the american hockey league without you know re-exposing him to waivers. So, so they knew they were going to have to carry him on the NHL roster. I, you know, I, I think the jury is out. He is a little bit older now. He's not a young prospect, but he's also got some things that, that the Penguins want to see, in addition to being a right-handed shot. So let's say Cody Cece isn't around next year, or, or you know, someone makes, a, makes the big splash for Chris Letang in the summer. Whatever happens. You know, they've got some depth, credit and props to Chad Ruedel for being a a steady, always reliable guy who's there in the pinch. But, you know, uh, Friedman has some grit and a little bit of snarl to his game back on the blue line. So if you want to plug somebody in for the season or for longer term, I think Friedman gets the shot. He's nice to have around if you have the, the roster space.
2: And it's nice too, because the Penguins didn't really have to give anything up for him. He's kind of low risk, if you will, because picking him up off the waivers, he has a low cap hit. So that that was a small move made by Ron Hextall, kind of dipping his foot and dipping his toe in a little bit into the the moves as general manager of the Penguins. But what kind of sense have you gotten from him and Burke so far? Is it an evaluation period? Yes. But do you see them making any sizable moves before the trade deadline this season?
0: I think the plan was to not make a big splash mm-hmm. on the, you know, this season before the, the trade deadline. However, the, you know, the the best plans of mice and men, really, if the team continues to middle and be outside the playoffs, if they continue this in, inconsistency, if they continue to have these uh, the same issues plague them for the next five weeks, I, I think Uh, Burke especially will will push to to make a big move or something bold. He was on Sirius XM, my old stomping grounds there, the uh, the NHL home ice channel. And and what he said was you like to evaluate for a year or a season rather, and then you do something special for your team in the past. That's something special included trading for Phil Kessel in Toronto, which actually didn't work out so well because what they gave up turned out to be a couple lottery picks. Uh, Tyler Sagan being, being one of those, you know, picks. But then in in Vancouver, he swung the deals to get the Sedin twins in Anaheim. He picked up um, Chris Pronger in addition to some picks, which turned out to be pretty good for them as, as well. So, so there is a track record that he waits but the penguins are all in this year right guys so so you can't wait if they're going to miss the playoffs or if you feel like they're going to miss the playoffs um i think they have to do something if this continues
1: yeah and i mean you mentioned that this team has got some definite issues right now and just what are some of the biggest issues and how can they be solved if they can even be solved this year? Not you know, go, not going into next year, but this year specifically.
0: Well, that's a, a pretty big uh, question, right? If they had the answer, they would do it already. I keep circling. In fact, I'm going to uh, publish the next couple of days here in Pittsburgh Hockey. Now, really, all of the the issues kind of stem from a lack of energy which can also stem from toughness. You know, you get energy from toughness sometimes. Sometimes you get toughness from, from energy. You, you also have a lack of players in their bottom six who are filling their role properly. Sullivan's had to shorten the bench in, in good times and in bad recently, really going with the first and the third line. You know, the Crosby to Bluger, Bluger back to Crosby. Malkin's been getting less ice time in the third period. And actually over the co- whole course of the game, And the fourth line has been spare parts for everybody. So if they can fill the fourth line, I mean, that might be the most low-hanging fruit for them Mm -hmm. is to fill the fourth line with a guy or two who can help the team overall, help them kill penalties, provide some energy, provide a bit more jam and, and physicality, and heaven forbid somebody who doesn't mind dropping the mitts once in a while to you know, to serve a little justice when Mark Jankowski gets run into the rafters a second after the puck clears. Those kind of guys make your team better, even if they're not good statistically. So, uh, you know, that's the low-hanging fruit. I think we could see Ron Hextall address very, you know, sooner than later.
2: Hey, if they're looking for somebody that's willing to drop the mitts, look no further than their goaltender in Wheeling. He looked like he was pretty willing (laughs) to drop the mitts the other night. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I didn't catch that. He okay. dropped he dropped the blockers, huh? Oh, big big time. There was a center ice brawl. He he went all out for him. So you got to look it up whenever we get off this call because he uh, he had a good showing as well. So
0: so he didn't do the Jordan Binnington and just keep skating. He went for it, huh? No, he actually
2: had the balls mustered up to go out there and drop the Mets fully. It wasn't just making people flinch and
1: skating <laughs> oh, off.
0: I, I missed the ECH. I haven't been to a, a game in Wheeling. I used to. I don't know. If you got, I I, wore, I was actually the play-by-play guy in Johnstown when they had an ECHL team. And oh, that, that league is, is something, something unique and special.
2: Definitely. And I even posted today, whenever we posted the video of that, I posted, well, it takes me back to my childhood because I grew up in Johnstown. Went to those Chiefs-Nailers games <laughs> and enjoyed every second of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, fa- fans would tell me stories of you know the glory days of the '70s and '80s. They'd come home with blood on their clothes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My grandmother was actually a billet family, so she had a, she had a fighter. So she would always say, "I hate it. I hate it. I hate when he comes home after a fight."
0: <laughs> yeah, it um, uh, it definitely was different hockey back then. Mm. Sticks were not out of bounds, and but I don't think the Penguins are going to get that kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> I think Tom Sestito is, is happily retired.
1: (laughs) Forgot about Tom Sestito. That's a name that I think we talked like me and Brilliance. definitely talked about quite often before um, as a guy that would be able to take that kind of role. And yeah, he was in before Reeves had his couple of handful of games here.
0: Yeah. Sestito had one job. There there, there was, there was going to be no uh, hockey playing. Sestito had one job was to go patrol every you know 10 or 15 minutes play his five to six minutes a night and and make sure everybody behaved
1: that's a name that brought back some memories thank you for that one <laughs> back to the goaltenders I mean this
2: leads perfectly into my next question I was wanted to talk a little bit about Tristan Jari because he seemed to turn a corner as of late whenever he was given the net back basically said you have it until we think you're gassed or you you might need a day off which has happened to be the whole way until we had a back-to-back are you comfortable with the current Penguins goaltending duo? And do you think Jari has turned that corner for good this season?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I Look, guys, uh, I'll tell you kind of speaking to you or speaking to the fans through you a, a, a little bit, the, the biggest difference between Matt Murray and Tristan Jari was I, I'm sure Jari had flaws in his game when he was 22, 23 years old. We only got to see him for a very limited stretch, like a a 26 game stretch, just enough to lose his, his rookie status. Mm -hmm. He had to fight his way back to the NHL. Now he's a very talented goaltender anyway. Uh, I don't know that he had the big glaring flaw that that Murray had with the glove side or, or the mobility, but um, I'm sure they were there. Jari had to smooth those over and he had to take off those rough edges to get back to the NHL. So yes, he's a young goalie, but he's had the longer path, the more traditional path. So he's more set. You look around the NHL. There are so many goalies who are, are struggling right now. Uh, Carey price is absolutely lost. Carter Hart went through the, the the swoon and uh, I could go on and on without the training camp, without having that six week ramp up to the season goalies didn't get to see a lot of rubber they 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 just weren't in sync so so yeah Jari had a terrible start to the season like so many others but uh he's been really good lately and and everything that we've seen for the last year year and a half tells us this is Tristan Jari not the start of the season Tristan Jari
1: yeah I mean we just hope Jari's you know like this to stay and I think we all are in agreement that he should be and much like uh, the goaltending situation, the Penguins blue line has been, you know, full of headlines this year. Um, do you think, you know, st- you know fan favorite it seems, P.O. Joseph stays in this lineup whenever, whenever, ever, when everyone is fully healthy, or is he just a casualty for a guy with more experience?
0: Well, I, I think the answer will be in between, really. Uh, P.O. needs a reset right yeah. now. Uh, I, I kind of. Uh... I asked Mike Sullivan about that, and forgive me, my days all run together. So, <laughs> whether it's Saturday or Tuesday, it's it's game day or non-game day for me. But uh, you know, he, Sullivan was honest that that Po hasn't been as good the last five or, or seven games, and and that's just natural for a young player who's a bit green and raw. They have all that adrenaline; they're pumped up, they're really on their toes, and you get their very best game. Then the adrenaline wears off a little bit, and then the rigors start, and then the coaches start adding wrinkles, and then they have to keep up with the game, and all of those things take a toll uh, on a 21-year-old defenseman especially. I think what happens is is this. When Dublin gets healthy later this week, next week, whenever it is, uh, Pedersen goes with CeCe, and P.O. gets a game, two, three, four games off to regroup, reset take a breath, watch a little bit, get back, you know, uh, on his skates. Then I think he comes back in the lineup because I think he is a better defenseman than, than Marcus Pedersen when he's on his game. So uh, I think we'll, we'll see a little bit of experimentation, but it'll go through a little bit of a process, right? Uh, where Pedersen, you know, takes the spot because you know what you got with him. And then then you play with Po a little bit.
2: A big part of that, Also, I think, is the amount of minutes he was playing right off the bat, because whenever P.O. Joseph made his debut and played in his first handful of games where he was playing that above-level hockey, it seemed like it came naturally to him, and one almost had to have imagined that he's 21 years old, it's his first stint, and he's playing 22, 23 minutes a game. Eventually, somebody's going to adjust to him, and eventually he's going to have to have that moment where, all right, I need to take a step back and reassess, and then go out there and be able to adjust again to the playing style.
0: Yeah, I also wonder if there's something with John Marino, because uh, he looked great with Marino, and so does Mike Matheson all of a sudden, right? Is is Marino, even though he's not as um, noticeable as Marino was last year, is he uh, making these guys look good? Is he doing something or not doing something that allows P.O., that allows Matheson to go play their, their best game. So that's something to keep an eye on, too.
2: One thing with Marino this year has been consistency. And for the Penguins, not a lot of players have been able to use that word to consider what their play style has been. I think two forwards that I would have to say that are consistent are Teddy Bluger and Brandon Tanev. Tanev, of course, the consistent turbo motor going all the way. But I want to ask you a little bit about Bluger He's kind of been one of the most consistent players for the past two seasons now for the Pens. Is it fair to see him as the the quote-unquote answer for the Penguins at third-line center?
0: Uh, It's, it's uh, looking pretty good, isn't it? He has, what, 11 points in 20 games? Yet he, ha- he doesn't have a few, any points in his last few games. Th- there's a question mark there, but it's... Um, I like his chances. How's that? Now, if they can improve upon that this year, I'm looking at guys like Luke Glendening in Detroit and somewhere around the, you know, players around the league a bit more experienced. And you can take that Tanev, Bluger, and Aston Reese line and, again, make it your fourth line because you've bolstered your third line. Now the Penguins are a full two steps ahead. Rather than uh, taxing Bluger, they they can really deploy him as, as a weapon. I don't know if that's the route they go, but if he's stuck as a third line center, they could do a whole lot worse.
1: It's interesting. I mean, because Teddy Blueger is another one of those fan favorites that um, we just want to see succeed no matter what, and he's a guy that definitely can do it. It's just a matter of, you know, stepping his game up. And I've always said, like, I'm not used to seeing someone that not so not not big guys the Penguins' third line center. I mean, ever since Jordan Staal, it's you know? He's slight, yeah. Teddy, yeah. Teddy is, is a
0: slight guy, and, and, and that will will hamper him as a third-line center, too. He makes up for it with great speed and, and tenacity and those things, but yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, there's a little bit of a different role as a third-line center. Where you actually have to play uh, 200 feet, whereas a fourth-line center, you can kind of chip in offensively, but if you don't, no one worries. If yeah. you don't chip in offensively as a third-line center, now people are starting to question you. So you really have to be on your toes when to go and have that extra dimension, which can wear you down because that's a lot of cycling and that's going to the net and that's playing in some hard areas as a third line to create some momentum and create some ugly goals because you're not playing with guys who can create pretty goals. You know, you're not playing with Jake Gensel or... or have, Brian Rust has become a guy who can do the pretty stuff too. So you're not playing with those guys. You're playing with grinders.
1: Yeah, and that's the way it is for him. But, you know, whole team as it is, we've discussed that we've had some issues. But going forward, we are yet to play, you know, two teams that are straight up not that great this year, and the Sabres and the Devils. Um, Do those, you know, remaining 16 games, those possible 32 points, do they carry a little more importance given the – position the penguins are in right now just out of the playoffs but definitely still on the hunt and only a few points out of first place let alone a playoff spot
0: they should right yeah Uh, (laughs) you know statistically speaking they they should gobble up uh, of those 16 games you're looking for 25 points out of them however the Mm -hmm. devils have bedeviled the penguins over the last several years because the devils played a very similar game uh so i i don't know and look buffalo and new jersey have hit rock bottom now will they be at rock bottom when they play the penguins or will they get fed up and and get that frustration going and take out some hate on the penguins so so you've got those issues to consider too at the end of the day everyone's going to play the same schedule and everyone's going to have the same teams and this you know and the better teams are going to make the playoffs which i kind of love actually i tend not to think that this is the uh panacea that penguins fans are hoping for because i don't think new jersey and buffalo are going to roll over the penguins are going to roll over them
2: well dan thank you so much for joining us and talking to us a little bit about penguins hockey and of course a little bit about nailers hockey we had to throw that in there as well but let all of our listeners know where they can find you on social media and what's coming up for you on Pittsburgh Hockey Now.
0: Oh, just, you know what? I don't even know what's coming up because we just keep <laughs> writing. It's all day, every day. We're just turning out content like like crazy people. So just check out pittsburghhockeynow.com And uh, hey, appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a lot of fun.
1: He's my brother, Matt.
2: And we are the Brothers of Discussion, hosting Red Wings Rant, where
0: tirades and impassioned pleas about your Detroit Red Wings finally have a hope. In a season mired in tragedy and despair, we are here to be your audible Earl Grey. To bring joy, placidity, and perspective to one of the roughest eras in Red Wing history. Ah, We honor the past, find the positives in the present. I swear they're there. And paint the picture of what's to come in the Winged Wheel's future. Paul Woods here on the radio broadcast to your Detroit Red Wings, and I'm going to play games like Who's That? Who's come that on, Pokemon? where Matt has to try and guess quotes pulled right out of context. For Jeff Blaschel, and we got to figure out who that Red Wing is. <laughs> Every episode, we put ourselves in the legendary shoes of
2: Steve Eiserman and play be the GM, finding ways to ice a competitive team while accumulating assets for the franchise's future. We also shoot the breeze. Some of the great local and national voices in Red Wings hockey, including Ken Kell and Keith Gave and Greg Wyshynski and Ryan Lambert.
0: Check us out every Monday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts.
2: And check us out live every Wednesday and Sunday for Red Wings reactions and live conversations with you on our YouTube channel, The Brothers of Discussion. Welcome back to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you by the hockey podcast network. Thank you to Dan Kingersky one more time for joining us on today's episode. We really appreciate him giving us his time and all of his insight. I absolutely love that interview. I, I think as soon as we finished that interview, I looked at you and I said, that might be one of my favorite interviews we've done. It's just the, the flow and some of the, some of the stories that he had to sh- share with us and some of the insight that he had to share with us was just top-notch. So we really appreciate it, Dan. Thank you again.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was one of those interviews you wish you could have kept going with. Just shooting off. You could, you just wanted to start shooting off random questions. Like, he brought Tom Sestito, and I just wanted to start throwing names in his face. Like, tell me about this. Like, tell me about
0: Craig Tom Kostopoulos.
1: Tom Kostopoulos. Like, just start throwing names in his face and seeing what kind of stuff he had. But, yeah, no, those are the kind of interviews you don't want to end. You just want to pick brains forever, but... Um, yeah, ton of fun. We'll try and get him back on one day because we hope you enjoyed that interview as well. Well, let's finish this episode off with shout-outs and call-outs
2: as we always like to finish off the week. Horwat, I'd like to start with my shout-out because we actually mentioned it in that interview with Dan Kingersky. My shout-out goes to Francois Brassard, of course, goaltender of the Wheeling Nailers, getting himself into a goalie fight. Not only getting himself into a goalie fight, going to center ice and completely plummeting his opponent just raining down rights not quite the Brent Johnson one punch knockout but he definitely had control of that fight the whole time he had a couple of nice right right handers in there and then of course whenever they started to scuffle again he just hip tossed them so you love to see it you love to see Wheeling being able to win that game by a score of 6 to 1 i know they haven't had the best of seasons but that was definitely a great moment so Francois Broussard my shout out goes to you great fight
1: great scuffle and like I said in the interview it takes me back man the ECHL is a wild place man wild you don't see that anymore you can kind of see it in the a but you either see it in the a or you see Jordan Bennington just faking it all out (laughs) um yeah so it's it's uh the ECHL is a wild place and it was fun to watch you don't see that anymore that's just the way it is but you know, go to the coast. It's where it is. Where it happens. If you, if anyone ever wants to sit front row at a front row at a uh, like on the glass at a hockey game, do it at a minor league game. Because mm-hmm. you have a higher chance of not just seeing great play, but also just a line brawl in your face. Yeah. And yeah, you can't see everything. I've done it before for a Florida Everblades game, but it's still great fun. And a line brawl did break out just at the other end of the ice. So things happen, but you know if you like the sport of hockey then you you want to see the e you want to see ECHL hockey i mean they're not guys that are going to make it to the nhl necessarily but they're guys that are fighting their damnedest to do it so that's that's good sport down there what's your shout out this week or yeah my shout out so have you seen the car shield commercials with um ryan o'reilly and pat maroon yes okay have you seen the new one No. Okay, so for those of you who haven't seen the first one at all, it's Ryan O'Reilly and Pat Maroon doing a Car Shield commercial. They're discussing their cup victories. It's really funny because Pat Maroon has two to Ryan O'Reilly's one, and that's kind of the joke they make at first. Then they change their little undercard so it says Conn Smythe winner for (laughs) Ryan O'Reilly. But they made a second one, and it's a Zoom call style uh, with Ryan O'Reilly and Pat Maroon, but then they decided to add ice tea. Not the drink, but the actor, uh, Chris Berman, ESPN analyst Chris Berman, and the one and only Ric Flair. I don't remember much of the commercial. I just know I saw those five faces on my screen. I got real confused, but was definitely into it. And I just—I've only seen it once. And I'm just trying to catch it again, but just I. I wish I could tell more about it, but the fact that Car Shield is out here apparently having some damn entertaining commercials. Uh, anything with Ric Flair is a beauty immediately. And Ice-T and Chris Berman is just not a combination I bet anyone expected. On top of Ryan O'Reilly and Pat Maroon. It's definitely a weird cast
2: of characters that they scripted there for Car Shield. I, I didn't know Car Shield was big enough to, to bring in some of those names like Ice-T and, and like Chris Berman. But hey, good on them. At least somebody's making good commercials nowadays and not the same cut and dry stuff that we've been seeing by some other companies that I will not name, but I mean, if you want to get inventive, if you want to get fun like that, I enjoy it. So good good on CarShield. I I like that.
1: I couldn't tell you the synopsis of that big uh, celebrity ad, but you know, I know it was better than anything that was in the Super Bowl this year.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple ones that were ironically funny to me, but not actually funny. So, That's fair. I, I, Yeah, it was it was a rough year for Super Bowl commercials. But I understand that there were a lot of companies uh, yeah. that instead put the money into COVID research and stuff like that. So good on them for that. So subliminary shout out to, to people that did that. But let's get into shout outs. My shout out goes to the place where everything is bigger in and everything is bigger in Texas. Did you mean call out, by the way? Oh, yeah. Did I say shout outs again? Yes. I mean call outs because obviously I'm not shouting out Texas for taking away the mandatory mask policy Ooh. when COVID is clearly not over. Yeah, we're we're, we're making strides. There's a, three vaccines out now and the president said that by May, they should have enough vaccines for every adult human in the United States. Great. That's I I I must I think that's what he said. I don't know if that's verbatim, but we're heading in the right direction. And then Texas just says right direction. That means we're done with it. Okay. Wipes their hands dry, says we're a hundred percent open, no mandatory mask policy. We're done with COVID. And it just ignorance is, is, is a mighty powerful thing Horwat. And I just don't understand how anybody can go from well, I'm not sure how, how close Texas was before because they already had fans in the stands since the beginning of the season. So they, they, they were a little bit more open than everybody else the whole way through. But there's no way anybody in the United States, especially a state like Texas, who is, I think, if I remember correctly, has had one of the highest number of COVID cases in the United States. You shouldn't be 100% open and you definitely shouldn't be taking away a mandatory mask policy because there are a lot of people that don't wear them with the mandatory mask policy. Now that you're taking away, more people are not going to use it and more people are going to get COVID. So
1: I just – I don't think it's smart on their part. Nope. You know what they say. Everything's bigger in Texas, including the case count. Um, mm. That might be a cold one. Oh, damn it. I keep walking into it. Huh. All right. Well, Texas done effed up. Um. so yeah it you know it's just not smart I get we listen we all hate the masks but at this point we're all used to it that there, at this point there's been genuine discussions being had about so how often are you going to wear it when you don't have to because that's going to become a thing that's going to become a thing that if you're not comfortable in the situation you're in you're going to pop one on if you're if you are not feeling the greatest you know health wise but have to go out for something mm-hmm. you're going to pop one on if you just paid a lot of money for one, like the Versace ones or Gucci ones that I have seen around the internet, well, you're going to get your money's worth and you're going to wear it. Um, those are just, you know, assholes being assholes with those ones. But you know, that's the kind of discussion we're having everywhere else that we are beginning to wonder how often we are going to wear our mask on our own for our own sake or for others sake when this is all said and done and we're all safe from this specific virus wearing it for now. It's going to turn into just wearing it to be a good person, to be a safe person. If you are not feeling the greatest or you were with people who might not be feeling the greatest, who knows? Or you're in a situation where maybe you're back in a full arena. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I know some venues kind of have like um, I know like I know stage A.E. had a had a thing where you can't cover your face because mm-hmm. for re- security reasons. So yeah. I don't know if that'll ever, I don't know if that'll come back in places, but you know, if you're in a venue like that at a full, full arena and you know, that's not required that you have to keep your face out. Um, maybe you just wear one just to feel safe about yourself. It's going to be a weird time going forward that <laughs> the fact that we're having that discussion is very weird that, that Texas just said, no, we're done here. Yeah. Um, So, Texas has just been making headlines recently. Big time. So, take us home, Horwath. What is your call-out for this week? Um, My call-out's a little fun. It's not necessarily any bad thing. It's just kind of how things work. It's NFL and the NFL media because where the hell did the Arizona Cardinals come from with this J.J. Watt signing? I had been listening to sports radio for a little while, and (laughs) I think I heard – Every other team was involved, in and or at one point or another a front runner on J.J. Watt, and then the Cardinals just came from the moon with an elbow drop and said, "No, he's ours now." I literally had heard front runners were Tennessee, Chicago, Cleveland, Pittsburgh was in there for a little while. Um, I can't remember more, but New Orleans, Tampa, I think squeaked in. The Raiders, like all of these teams but he goes to Arizona, which was never discussed. Meanwhile, there's, you know, Russell Wilson trade rumors. Okay, how does how does this become a bad thing? Well, because it seems like at this point, NFL writers and NFL media are just kind of throwing shit on a wall and hoping something sticks and everyone takes it like it's gospel. I mean, I'm not saying this, the work that Schefter or um, John Clayton, I'm not saying the work they do is wrong or bad. I'm just saying it's so hard to keep track of things whenever... It literally looks like half these tweets are filling out mad libs. It's pick high priority player, pick three teams, enter trade request or more money. And then there you go. You have a tweet that's gonna get sent around and be talked about for the next week. That's it it, that's it that only happens in the NFL. The NBA is a little different because it's all it's all hearsay and it's all just all their friends wanting to play together because they're all really good at basketball and want to build these super teams. I just want to know your thoughts on all this. So, like, does it seem like NFL media just kind of fills out the Mad Lib and says, here you go.
2: Have fun. The NFL media is probably the biggest media sector in sports. And here's the thing. It is March. There is nothing for them to talk about right now. So that is the problem. You're going to have stuff like that probably up until we get about three weeks before the NFL draft. Then it all becomes about the NFL draft. So it's just the nature of the beast when it comes to the nfl
1: and i get it i mean like i said i understand it because there it is the most focus it is the most talked about and it's just wild especially considering i said yeah there was those russell wilson trade rumors but at the same time i think there was a rumor that russell wilson said he didn't want traded so are you really just flinging shit at a wall here or what's going on it's from a media's media person's perspective i'd like to know the actual truth before i try and discuss things or put them on the air i don't personally i don't want to be like if we were to do a show and let's say there was genuine talks that like say someone wrote a story about malkin wanting wanting traded we come on here we discuss it maybe like after we record it two days later malkin's like i never said that ever like It's just an issue, and I get that, again, it gets the reader's attention. It gets the word out there, you're doing your job, but I don't know. I just want to know what's real and what's not, and I don't want 80 different teams being involved for one guy and then have the Arizona Cardinals jump in from the moon and take him. It's not all a bad thing. It's just, I don't know, it's all wild to me. It's just the Wild West. Seems like you've had a crazy year first trying to pay
2: first year trying to really really pay attention to the NFL. <laughs> is it always like this?
1: No, uh yes, I get it, it. It's just it's just very interesting. I'm like and plus it's something new every day. Like I'm literally looking right now to see if there's anything new. Uh-huh. <laughs> because like I said it's usually just filling out Mad Libs. It's high priority name, three ra- random teams that aren't his own. You know, and free agent talk, reason. trade talk, money. Yep. Like, it's tweet. There you go. Well, that's going to do
2: it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We really hope you all enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed the inside view of being at the first Penguins game with fans. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Dan Kingersky. For what, anything else to say before we let the folks go for the
1: weekend? Have a great weekend. I'm going to get some rest, and hopefully we come back post- We have three
2: more games after this recording. Let's hope we're on a four-game win streak at that point, but that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next week. You can follow us on Twitter at nickhorwat 41 and at Nick underscore You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at hockeypodnet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.